1: Articeps Chronicles, a poppychula radio.com original series. Poppichula Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Monday, January 30th, 2023, and I am your host, Priscilla Obregon. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on HBO's The Last of Us. Please welcome my co-hosts, Jeffrey Aruz.
0: Welcome listeners, welcome back. I really don't want to have to cry again.
1: <laughs> and Vinnie Hatcher. Hello.
2: I'm going to start with the simple
1: things. (laughs) With, With introductions out of the way, let's jump into our discussion of season one, episode three, which is titled Long, Long Time and debuted January 29th, 2023 via HBO. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. When a stranger approaches his compound, survivalist Bill forges an unlikely connection. Later, Joel and Ellie seek Bill's guidance. So, episode three might very well be the best of the series, in my opinion, and is also the episode that diverts the most from the game itself. In the game, we meet Bill, a cantankerous man who has fenced up the city he lives in, ensuring that no one else can get near him. As Joel and Ellie leave the town, they find another man named Frank, who has hung himself, Bill says that Frank was his partner, and that even someone like Bill, who has closed the world off around him, had also found someone at the end of the world. But long, long time takes a different and more moving approach to Bill and Frank's story, which gets Joel and Ellie to the same place they need to be, but through a beautiful look at two people who saved each other during the end of the world. Episode 3 begins with Joel by a river, piling up a series of rocks, a makeshift tribute to Tess. Joel and Ellie are only 10 miles west of Boston, and they've already experienced a major loss. Joel is giving Ellie the silent treatment until Ellie mentions that no one forced Joel and Tess to escort her across the country, that they needed her for their own means, so Joel shouldn't blame her for things that aren't her fault. Joel silently nods as if he admits that what she's saying is correct, and his quiet anger is misplaced. Ellie asks how much longer they have to get to Bill and Frank, and Joel says it's a five-hour hike. On the walk, Ellie asks how Joel got a scar near the temple of his head, and Joel responds that someone shot him and missed. He states that he shot back at them and missed too. When Ellie mentions that she should probably also have a gun, Joel quickly shoots the idea down. The two enter an abandoned gas station, where Joel says he's left some things stashed away. As Joel looks for his stash, Ellie talks about how she wishes she could play the broken Mortal Kombat 2 arcade machine inside, then explores on her own. Ellie ends up finding a door to the basement where she finds an infected trapped under a pile of rubble. Ellie pulls out her switchblade and gently cuts open his forehead to see what's inside before she stabs him in the head. Joel finds his stash and leaves his gun with no ammo behind, while Ellie doesn't tell Joel about the infected in the basement. As they keep walking, they see a crashed plane, and Ellie asks about outbreak day, and how the world basically fell apart in a day. Joel says that no one knows for sure how the outbreak came to be, but that the best guess is that cordyceps mutated, and that some of it got into the food supply through a basic ingredient like flour or sugar, and if a person ate enough, it could get you infected. With tainted food hitting stores around the world at once, it wouldn't take long for many to get infected, then start biting. In just a few days, the world was destroyed. Joel tries to get them to take a shortcut to avoid something that Ellie shouldn't see, but naturally that only makes Ellie want to go see it even more. What she finds is a pile of human bones, many of which have luggage around them. Joel explains that a week after the outbreak, soldiers swept through the countryside, evacuated small towns, and told people they were moving to a quarantine zone. If there was room, if there wasn't room, the people who were likely weren't sick were killed and left there. When Ellie asks why they would do this, Joel says dead people can't get infected. So with that huge introduction and with the differences that maybe you didn't know or maybe now you do know about the game, what did you think about this pile of moments? And I'm going to start with you, Jeffrey. I...
0: Thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm loving the dynamic between Joel and Ellie. I enjoyed the banter. I like that we got a whole bunch of uh, exposition-y information. I thought about you, Priscilla. I was like, look at Priscilla being right. Look at Priscilla big right. Like, I read a, a comment somewhere on, um, it was on some website that was doing a recap for it. And even the writer was like, oh, gosh, I might have to go back and rewatch because there were all these baked goods. And Joel and Sarah didn't touch any of them. They didn't even have the pancakes and that sort of thing. And I was like, you need Priscilla on your staff because Priscilla noticed that shit a S A P. So props to you for being so vigilant in that first episode. You'd be a good conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you know, she's she notices know. The, the the you know the, the numbers and the patterns and all that kind of stuff. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. So I thought about you and I was really glad that we got some answers because I said in the previous episode, I was like, come on, Joel, just tell the girl something like she needs to know something. All that she knows is what Fedra has been feeding her. She is not even the same age that, you know, the outbreak happened. You know, she's not 20. She's 14. And so she wasn't there. She doesn't know. And uh, we weren't there. We don't know. So I wanted more information, and the little drips and drabs, it was teeny tiny, but it was enough to sort of satiate my curiosity. Like, I don't think we need Outbreak Day from different perspectives and that sort of thing, but we needed a little bit more information. And the information that we got was good. Uh, I mean, it was also sad. I mean, let's be real, because not only did we get information about Outbreak Day, but we got information about the, the day's... After that and the fact that there was a lot of paranoia and as you said so eloquently and recapping that section Priscilla the the government the people in charge were very nervous about people spreading the contagion and all that kind of stuff that they were basically euthanizing people because the dead can't spread the cordyceps so all of that was not surprising but I think it was really important for us to hear. And I'm going to be fully honest, I'm so glad we didn't see any of that. Like, I was kind of worried that that's what we were going to get in the next scene, because we went back in time and, and they showed us the same blanket that we saw in the grass. So I'm glad that we went in a, in a different direction.
1: Finny, what did you think about these scenes? And for that matter, did you get to that point in the game?
2: You know, I don't remember because I didn't remember the character in the game. So I, you know, like I don't think I did get very far ever. So no, I don't think I came upon them. So I can't speak to the differences to the game other than what I read in articles reviewing the episode. But overall, right out of the gate, there was a different feeling about this episode for me because it kind of picked right up, you know, with them leaving the station or whatever the building was that Tess blew up and dealing with the fallout and awkwardness of this. And there was this tension between Joel and Ellie. And I was curious to see where it was going to go. Was he going to hold a grudge? Was she going to be quiet and sullen? But I kind of liked how she owned up the fact that it wasn't her fault and she didn't really have anything to own up to. That wasn't the right verb, but you know, she pointed it out and he had no logic to counter it. So it allowed them to kind of start with a little bit of a clean slate of sorts, uh, And I love their banter. I love how, despite what just happened, he was still willing to watch out for her by trying to have her avoid seeing certain things on the road. Um, I think what I love the most, and this is really morbid, but it's because it was so well done, was the transition of the skeleton of the mother and the baby with the fabric of their clothes flapping in the wind, transitioning into the back of the mother, holding the baby in that flashback. When we got to see the beginning of the story that was unfolding in this episode, it really resonated the sadness and the severity of like what happened with this apocalypse. And I thought it was really tastefully done. You know, what my favorite things about stories like this is when you get the prequels of what happened when all the shit went down and then seeing vignettes into how people survived and how they whether they thrived or not. Um, And then also, unfortunately, the downside of that is you see how the government fails to handle things effectively or decides to be very scorched earth. So it was really poignant. And I thought it was a really great point that he wanted to avoid her seeing that. And she kind of she took it better than he thought she was going to. You know, this isn't his daughter. This isn't the same girl that he's, you know, being triggered about. This is a different person. She's stronger. She's been through a lot. And while I'm sure inside seeing, you know, what she saw and hearing what she heard, was upsetting she's processed it because she's more mature than her years because she has to be so I thought the whole opening was really well done I thought it transitioned nicely into the story that we ended up following instead of Joel and Ellie but most importantly we are seeing the bond between them already start to strengthen after such a loss that they had with Tess
1: your words couldn't be any more accurate like I loved what you mentioned about like the discussion that they had at the very beginning because I thought that it just shows like strength in Ellie that she goes that she recognizes that he's being defensive and is quite diplomatic of her to instead of like kind of pouting and throwing a temper tantrum, like the the world has changed her. She's not like completely a child in recognizing that there's pain in other people. Like so she she tells him, Hey, I get that you're grieving but it's not my fault, so don't take it out on me, so, I I don't know, I just, I loved that scene, and also, like, I love the little things that update this world to what we currently have, because in the video game, when Ellie is looking at the arcade game, it's not like Mortal Kombat 2, it's, I think it's something called Angel Fall or Angel Break, something like that, like, just some random thing that Naughty Dog created for their game, because obviously they don't own Mortal Kombat, they can't use it. But the fact that they're like, they changed that, and they were like, Melina's my favorite character. I was like, yay, I love this, this is great. I, I knew there was a reason I like you, Ellie. And saying this as like a girl with all the love in my heart, Why would you take those tampons that probably have mold in them that are probably going to make you, like, turn into a zombie because you... Right? Oh, God, it's just terrible. It's a terrible idea. No. Take toilet paper because that shit is dry, but don't take that. No.
2: (sighs) Yeah, she ain't going to get a visit from Aunt Flo. She's getting a visit from Aunt No.
1: (laughs) Yes. And as a side note for, like, my lazy self, when Joel was like, "It's a five-hour hike," I was like, five hours hiking? I can't even last five minutes hiking. Just kill me now. Just let the cordyceps take me." Fuck that. No. Oh and I, I will say, like Jeffrey was like, pat on the back for figuring out that flour or sugar was a, was a part of this. Ha! I th- proven right by the show. I I like this. Like I my sometimes my crackpot theories work out. So and as another side note when I saw the pile of bodies I'm so dumb because the first time I saw it I was like is that a pile of rocks? And then like the camera pans closer to the clothes and to the bones and I'm like oh shit it's bodies and still like it didn't really hit me that some of them were smaller, and that, like, some of the patterns in the clothes were childlike, meaning that, like, kids died, until, like, it flashes to the mom holding the baby with the same, like, blanket, and then I was just horrified, I was like, God, these people were innocent, and you killed them, and I get that it's, like, survive, and, like, kill or be killed, but these people trusted you, you were their government, and you turned them, like, you, ter- you, you didn't just turn them away to leave them to fate you did you did even worse. You took advantage of their trust and killed them in cold blood that's that's this cruel man that's that's some fucked up shit So jumping into what it led to, the episode then jumps back in time to one such town being gathered by soldiers on September thirtieth two thousand and three. As everyone is loaded into trucks, we see a house covered in cameras and the man inside watching the monitors underground as everyone leaves. He hears soldiers walking around above him in his basement, and he grabs his gun just in case. Yet the soldiers don't find him, and as the people are hauled out of town, we see that this man is in a doomsday prepper's basement covered in guns and supplies. He makes his way out of hiding, armed to the teeth and with a gas mask on, and once the coast is clear, he takes off his mask and smiles. This is our introduction to Bill. Bill has been preparing for what seems like years, and he makes the most of it. He steals a boat and gas from the local gas station, takes supplies from a boarded-up Home Depot, breaks into a natural gas plant to get the power back, grabs several boxes of wine from the local winery, and gets his own generator working. Bill gets to work fortifying a fence around the town, planting his own vegetables and raising his own animals. Bill sits himself down to eat a gorgeously prepared dinner, made thanks to all his hard work, a meal that it seems shouldn't shouldn't just exist in a post-outbreak day world. As he eats his dinner, we see on his monitors that he's set up even more cameras around town so he can keep a better eye on the perimeter and the traps he's set to keep the infected away. So I'm going to pause here because that is an excellent opening to introducing our paranoid schizophrenic bill. So I want to know, Vinny, what did you think?
2: This was amazing. You know, I, I love the fact that we get to see... You know, him kind of like, clearly he's not a people person. He's very happy to see that he's now got this entire town to himself. that has been evacuated. And he almost had like a little Ferris Bueller's day off going and breaking into places and getting what he needed and setting it up and, you know, resorting it. Because in a situation like this, everyone likes to say, oh, no, I'm going to be a good person. I'll take care of myself and I'll open things up to other people and blah. But realistically, when it all boils down, a lot of people are going to end up taking care of themselves first and most importantly, you have to, because you can't help other people until you take care of yourself. So he never got to step two. He stopped at step one, taking care of himself, because in scenarios like this, there's more bad people than there are good, because it's just human nature, right? People become selfish in, in situations of stress and post-apocalyptic scenarios, you know? So he had a right to be paranoid and kind of wall off this town for himself, Um but you immediately have to wonder it's like isn't the person going to get lonely and we got to see that with what's coming up you know that he never really considered that he was lonely until the next development in the story comes along but the vignettes that we get to see of him just going around gathering everything building the fence i loved this because if i was that resourceful it's probably something that i would do as well you know and i don't necessarily think i would shut myself off from other people i probably have people involved with me but wherever i was i would do my best to like find a solid base camp find somewhere that was defensive or defendable and you know go about setting it up so that I could potentially thrive there and so you get to live a little live a little vicariously through the character in this moment and I don't know about you guys but I kind of was along the ride for the glee that he was having running around this empty town breaking in getting everything he needed and like also having a sense of like I was right, guys, because he was a survivalist. He was already prepped for some kind of disaster, and this was his vindication. So, yeah, this was, this was a wholly awesome segment for me.
1: Jeffrey, what did you think of our little survivalist?
0: I co-sign all of that. Uh, I thought what we got was incredibly fascinating to watch because this is a different person, a different type of person's POV on what happened when everything went to shit, and, uh, it was really neat to see, because this is someone that is a doomsday prepper, a survivalist, someone who believed that that day was coming, and, uh, I mean, he was right, in a sense, I mean, he didn't really think, I mean, he didn't know what was gonna happen, but he felt like something was gonna go down, and he was correct on that, and seeing him do everything that he needed to do, and knowing exactly what he needed to do. Like, going and grabbing the things that he needed, uh, you know, getting as much gas as he needs, and that sort of thing. All of it was pretty brilliant. I was a little worried, kind of, just because he, like, waited pretty much immediately until the government left, and I'm like, well, wouldn't they still be kind of in the area? Like, isn't it a little too soon to just, like, walk outside and start doing everything you need to do. That was the only thing. You know, you just sort of have to sort of um, do the whole, you know, I'm watching a TV show, suspension of disbelief type of thing. But I was worried for him for a moment. But I liked that everything was going his way, and uh, he just knew exactly what he needed to do.
1: i got to say, this is, like, proving everybody who's, like, Ava Coleman from Abbott Elementary, who's just kind of, like, Y'all don't have a doomsday prep plan because, like, it, it, the zombie apocalypse is gonna happen. Like, and I'm like, shit, this just proves everyone right because the, the all those crazy people that are in, like caves in Texas and stuff like that, like chilling out, eating jerky, and waiting for the world to end, are watching this if they have cable somehow, and they're like, ha, somebody else is, is right, and that's gonna happen to me. I'm just like, damn. I, I was watching this, and I was like, shit, should I have a plan? Should I have a basement with, like, piles of guns and cans and just random-ass shit that's going to help? Damn. Because that was useful. He was really smart. I totally agree with the whole Ferris Bueller, like, comparison. Because, yeah, he just he looked happy. And it's going to spoil something for the, re- for the future episode. But it really did seem like he didn't give a shit that people died. Cause it's very like fuck you got mine mentality where I don't like people I just like myself and I want everything for myself so I'm just going to make this like the best situation possible for me so I don't know like he was interesting and because he's Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec I'm inclined to like him but a part of me in the back of my head is like you know, he kind of like if you think about this logically, he is being a jerk because he could have offered help to any one of the people in the town. Like, he's probably lived in the town for a while. If he knows all the resources, like he could have, in theory, been like, "Hey, I don't really trust the government. Do you want to come with me in my basement and we'll wait it out?" Like, he he, but he didn't. So, in it inherently shows like a a a darker moral center and a sense of like survivalistness that takes over the humanness in him so I I didn't know if I would like him completely and based off of like how it was in the game, like granted like he it was great when he was like joking around with Ellie and stuff like that, but like I I didn't really like him as a person. But as I was having this discussion with my husband, he was just kind of like, well, you're not supposed to like the world is filled with like people that are different types and it it takes all kinds to make a world so he if if he's very much a survivalist who's kind of like a jerk there's people like that that are going to survive if something like that's ever happened so it's interesting to watch it makes for good tv it like we don't have the same like people with like golden moral centers hearts of gold like we we have All kinds, and morally ambiguous people are fun to watch. So, we're going to continue on with four years later in 2007, Bill is still on his own and thriving in his town when he gets a notification that someone is stuck in a hole outside his fence. When Bill goes to investigate, he cocks his gun before reaching the hole and the person inside states, I'm not infected, and replies that he's not armed either. The man says that he was trying to make it to Boston and that his group started with 10 people, but he's all that's left. He came from Baltimore, QZ, which is now gone. Bill lets the man out of the hole, checks with the device to see that the man is not infected, and at gunpoint, points him to the direction of Boston. But the stranger says he hasn't eaten in two days and introduces himself as Frank. Bill says if he feeds Frank, everyone he tells about his free meal will come looking for a handout and yet bill eventually finds compassion for frank and brings him to his house while frank takes a warm shower bill brings him some fresh clothes frank is extremely gracious for the shower and bill looks at the closed bathroom door as if he's forgotten the joys of another person later bill and frank share a meal prepared by bill before before the meal is ex- before, As before, the meal is expertly made and Frank's face is full of joy as if he almost can't believe that such fine dining is still possible in this world. As Frank enjoys the delicious meal, Bill pours him wine and Frank notes that Bill knows what wine to pair with the rabbit. When Bill says, I don't know, I don't seem the type, Frank replies, no, you do. A moment that shows Frank already understands Bill more than anyone has in a long time. After the dinner... Frank thanks his host and says he should be going. But first, Frank goes to another room to the piano where he says he's been eyeing eyeing it all night. As Frank looks through the sheet music Bill has, Bill seems unnerved by Frank's actions. Frank says that the music he finds isn't Bill's, but then he finds a collection of Linda Ronstadt songs and states, This is you. Frank begins to play and sing long, long time, but Bill stops him when he keeps playing the wrong notes and singing off key terribly frank says he'll go as soon as bill plays the song correctly as bill beautifully plays the song frank looks on genuinely moved by this man's performance frank asks who the girl is that bill is singing about to which bill states there is no girl frank puts his arm around bill and says i know frank tenderly kisses bill a moment of intimacy that leaves frank crying and bill almost shaking with joy bill finally introduces himself and frank tells bill to go take a shower When Bill comes out of the shower, Frank is already in his bed waiting for him. Frank takes off Bill's towel, and the two lay together, naked and open with each other. Bill admits he's never done this with a man, but that he did have sex with a woman a long time ago. Frank says he'll start with simple things, a la Vinnie, and he climbs on top of Bill, and he states that he's not a whore who has sex for lunches, and that if they do this, he's going to stay for a few more days, which Bill agrees to. The two gently hold each other and kiss softly as Frank kisses Bill's chest down and out of frame. It's a moment of intimacy that likely these two never imagined they'd have again, considering the state of the world. So, with this, like, gentle scene ended, Vinny, what did you think?
2: So, I love this. I, I never knew that Offerman, as somebody that I needed to see in, like, a budding homosexual relationship, but he proved how versatile of an actor he is. In this moment, like I never would have considered him someone who would go for like a gay role. And I love the fact that it's something that I did not expect from an actor that I didn't expect it from. And the the whole lead up to this, like the banter between the two of them right from the get go was full on chemistry. Like this isn't an Arby's. Well, Arby's didn't give free lunches. You know, when they were going back and forth, the, the witty banter was amazing right out of the gate. And I, I thought that this adjustment, I, I mean, I know how it was in the game. They were not a gay couple in the game. If anything, it might have been thought or implied. I can't remember, but they, they definitely weren't fully visual. It was, visual. Right. It Please, was implied? Uh, okay. But seeing this relationship start the way that it did, this was really cute. This was really excellently written. It wasn't cheesy. It wasn't overly fake like a lot of situations like this, whether it's gay or straight. They're just very fake and forced. The only critique that I have, and this will not in any way detract from my viewing of the entire episode or my enjoyment of it, is I do feel that in... Even the very beginning of a post-apocalyptic situation, pandemic like this, the type of character that we were introduced to in Bill, I did find it very, very hard to believe that he was willing to get that vulnerable and that naked that quickly, like on the same day the guy showed up at his house. However, I suspended my disbelief and went with it. But when I thought about it after the fact, considering he's not somebody that clearly trusts very easily even if he was desperate for intimacy, even if he was desperate for another person, it did kind of not resonate with the character that we had been introduced to. I just chalk it up to desperation. But it, I would have maybe bought it if it wasn't the first day that they jumped into bed, if they spent some more time together and we got to see the relationship blossom that way. I'm not saying that it was cheap sex. I just I didn't feel the transition from like, I'm going to be a loner. I don't trust the world. I want to be alone, uh, you know, to where it ended up in the first day it was a little bit wonky and weird, but it wasn't bad.
1: Okay. So you thought that it was good, but that the relationship might have been a tad hurried, but it's, yeah. it's heavy, so it, it makes sense. Like they're going to have to hurry this up. But Jeffrey, what did you think?
0: I get what Vinnie is saying, like the rushedness of the situation, but I didn't mind it. Like, I I was invested in the story. It's crazy because uh, I saw this comparison online and I was like, okay, this is is what this was. You know, we are sold a uh, post-apocalyptic zombie-ish series where we are trekking the post-apocalyptic United States with a child that is the cure for the future. And smack dab, not really in the middle, but sort of, we'll call it middle adjacent, we get a um, Sundance Film Festival romance, <laughs> which, you know, I did not see this coming. It was a nice respite. It was, it was just a beautifully told story of this man with many layers of, Uh, you know, the barriers, you know, uh, protective shields all the way around him, letting himself uh, fall in love. And I thought both of the actors did a really good job. It was, it was so just, it was so enthralling to watch. And it was incredibly moving. And the acting, I mean, the acting was fantastic, the writing was really good, just everything about, like, leading into the romance was really expertly done. And shout out to Linda Ronstadt, who, you know, I I was, like, reading articles, this is a, a sort of, um, what would you call it, um, a running up that hill type of situation, with the Linda Ronstadt song, Long, Long Time. Uh, I read that it it is now, like, the streaming numbers are ridiculous for the song ever since this episode aired uh, a little over 24 hours ago, you know, at least per hour recording time. So, uh, yeah, there's like a resurgence in the track right now because of the series which i think is uh pretty damn spectacular
1: yeah artists like her like i, I hate being an old fun daddy but artists like her don't deserve to die like in the shadows like a new generation should be able to like learn to love and appreciate them so like although i will say it took me forever to figure out that that was the song even though like it's the title of the episode because i was like what the hell is he singing? That the the notes are all out of key. He's he's it, it sounds like a cat yowling. What the hell? Like no wonder Bill was like, um, you need to stop. You're, well, he you're... was
0: also playing it like at a sped up rate. Like it, it's a slower song, and he was playing it kind of like, you know, like a carefree um, type of song. Which I mean, let's be real, it was probably his excitement at seeing a piano in so long. Uh, so there's that. I also want to say because I don't want any of the listeners to misunderstand what you said. Because you said you don't want her to die in the shadows. Linda Ronstadt is still alive, listeners. So just enough. Oh
1: no! Ah, I, I <laughs> no, I,
0: no, I know that. what you meant, but I was like, I don't want people to misinterpret.
2: <laughs> oh, Priscilla, if she dies now,
0: <laughs> hopefully she's not in the shadows. Oh,
1: no! Oh my god, no. I'd feel so bad. But <laughs> yes. I didn't mean it like that. I just meant that, just like like what happened before with Depeche Mode, because the same thing happened with when they played the song in the first episode. Like, songs from older generations shouldn't just fade into nothingness. We should learn to appreciate them. So, it was, I thought it, I thought it was really cool. I will say, the food that they made, like the rabbit... And the wine looked delicious. I, and I was eating. I looked at my pizza that I was eating while I was watching this episode, and just looked all disappointed and tossed it on my paper plate. Like, oh, they eat better than I do, and it's an apocalypse. What the hell,
2: girl? I was eating a cup of ramen. <laughs> 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 uh,
1: and I will say, as someone like, I really appreciate and. I get that it was like this in the game, but even Vinny like recognizes the fact that like they leave it really ambiguous in the game as to whether or not partner implies romantic partner or it implies like he's my partner in crime. Like I don't know. Like it's just they they don't actively say it. And I I no offense to Naughty Dog. I know that like later we find we see more LGBT characters and it's more blatant like that they are LGBT. So like I. I don't blame them for that, but I really appreciate that this episode was like really blatant and like, no, he is gay. This is a gay relationship. And it's not like a total like cop out or something like that where it's just like a kiss on the cheek because the actors are too straight to bear being with another straight man. No, they, they, they get into it. They're intimate and it doesn't look forced. It looks beautiful it looks like a beautiful blossoming of a relationship like two people who are like struggling to connect with another person in a time when sometimes you don't see people for months years on end so I thought that was great and uh, aesthetic wise it's wonderful to see like and I okay I'm going to be really rude with this it's wonderful to see someone that's not like the typical gay pastiche of like really muscly man who or like really like a femme like teeny twink like being together like it's it it it's gotten to a point where anytime you see you mention like someone gay it's the guy from white collar or like neil patrick harris like and yes it it shows like true shades of the gay community but to see like nick offerman play a gay character to see uh oh, i forgot his name is merle frank's character frank's actor uh Murray bartlett walking... yes he was amazing it shows different like iterations it shows bears and i'm i'm very happy with that and as a note to my husband we were watching this and like I take extreme issue with HBO doing that whole thing where, they, like, they always, like, if there's a woman and she's naked, like, she is completely naked. Like, they show butt to boobs, like, everything. But when Nick Offerman was there, like, they just show, like, his chest and, like, the camera's like, whoop, we're not showing anything else. This isn't Deadwood. We're not showing his dong. So I'm like, What? That's not fair. Like, if, if it was a girl, you'd have, you would have objectified the shit out of her. But I H- guess. HBO that...
0: take notes. Priscilla wants pee-pee time. <laughs> she <laughs> wants I equal want, oh, opportunity I'm time on screen. nudity.
1: <laughs> I'm paying for HBO. I, I, I expect <laughs> premium <laughs> cable service.
0: Priscilla says, I'm paying for HBO. I'm paying for the pee-pee.
2: <laughs> she don't want HBO Max, she want HBO Snacks
0: oh, <laughs> I want the
1: <laughs> <laughs> No, but Other than that like I, I thought it was really excellently Done, like I, I thought that the scene Was tender and Something that you Again, like Vinny said, you really don't expect From someone who's a survivalist, and not even just Survivalist, but like a virgin In the gay community, like he's never done Anything like that before, and to go from like zero to a hundred it's crazy but i guess things are different when you realize that you might not be able to see a person for the rest of your life so you might as well like take advantage of what you can while you can have it so
2: priscilla i've got to make one edit to what you said mm-hmm. i don't think it was zero to a hundred i think it was zero to
0: 69. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, that was good. That was a good one. Thank you. I'm here every Monday. (laughs) Okay. So, cutting to three years later, with Frank saying, fuck you, as he leaves Bill's house. The two are having a fight after Frank asked for some paint and a little gas for the lawnmower. Frank wants to paint the house, fix up the shops, and generally make their street look nicer. As he says, paying attention to things, it's how we show love. Bill asks if they're going to start hosting formal garden parties. Frank responds no, but they are going to have friends and that they will invite them to visit. Bill rebuts that there's no friends to be had, and then Frank mentions that he's been talking to a nice woman on the radio. It turns out that woman is Tess, and we see that Bill and Frank have invited her and Joel to their home, Bill with distinct reluctance. As they eat, Bill keeps his gun on the table, unnerved by strangers in his neighborhood. Frank and Tess agree that they'll be working together in the future, leaving Bill and Joel alone. Joel says he understands Bill's wariness, but they can help each other that there's stuff in the QZ that they can get that will be beneficial to Frank and Bill. Yet Bill maintains that he doesn't need the help of Joel and Tess. Joel points out the faultiness of Bill's fence and says that he can get him supplies that will last him the rest of their lives. As Tess and Joel leave, Frank mentions they should have a radio code, which we learned about in the first episode, so that was a nice callback. While Joel tells Bill that even though their home is well-protected, Raiders will eventually come, to which Bill responds, we'll be fine. I'm going to pause here, because the next scene, the next couple of scenes are a big mouthful, and we, we'll hash them out. So, Vinny, what did you think about this scene?
2: You know, anytime you are dealing with a runtime constraint, such as being an episode, and you take the risk of telling a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end for characters that, you know, it's basically their only arc, you run the risk of pacing, rushing, or, you know, just not delivering. They did a great job transitioning from the introductory romance blossoming to taking us, you know, a while later to where now we see the relationship in full bloom dealing with a storm. It wasn't jarring, as I've seen in other shows when they do stuff like this. It was a seamless transition because I was already invested and committed to these characters, right? Like from the moment, you know, they met all the way to the end of the episode, there was chemistry between these two actors and the characters themselves, the way that they were written. It was all realistic. And the argument that they had was, a really valid one, because when you think about being stuck in a situation like a massive epidemic, pandemic, whatever, a post-apocalyptic scenario where you have to have a base that you only ever leave if you absolutely need to, people don't always immediately think about this aspect of the story. You're going to get fucking bored. You see the same things every day. Your atmosphere around you starts to decay, you know, and in this instance, it was a neighborhood, And they had their house and their home, but the rest of everything around them was clearly going to be corroding and falling apart. And Frank wanting to spruce that up, zhuzh it up a little bit, is a realistic feeling that people would have in this scenario. And I like that this was a point of contention that was shown to us because it's realistically something that you could see happen. You know, you get bored, you want to do something, and then the other person thinks that it's frivolous, and it really is a matter of resource management. But you want to convince them, and then you just want to say, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. I loved this debate between them. I thought it was really real and genuine, and I think it did a great job of kind of conveying the next step of their relationship, because at this point, they're, they're in with each other for the long haul. They're having, maybe this is their first tizzy, maybe not. It didn't seem like it was their first, but it was a big one. And we get to see the characters kind of go through it and work through it in the moment, and we get a little bit of a breadcrumb to Joel and Tess potentially coming in. And I really, really enjoyed this little vignette. I think it was really an excellent transition that could have been jarring and caused pacing issues, but it didn't at all.
1: Okay, so we've gotten your opinion. Jeffrey, what did you think?
0: I loved seeing Joel and Tess. It was really great to see them. First of all, it was nice seeing Tess cleaned up because I feel like she was a little, like, you know, She was a little grody. I mean, let's be real. Joel was grody, too. Ellie was grody, as well. Like, they were all... They looked like hot messes. So, seeing Tess look a little bit more like a a clean human was really nice to see. I like seeing sort of like that kinship that uh, she was uh, sort of... Or, not sort of developing, that she had developed with Frank over the radio exhibited uh, in person. I thought that was really nice. And, uh, I mean, I I agree with with Vinny. Um, I feel like we're all going to agree with the same thing with this episode. It just feels like it because this episode was spectacular. But everything about Bill and Frank, watching their relationship evolve, we would catch up with them basically every three or four years or so. And seeing how they have um, they have grown together. Because they kind of are opposites. You know, it really is the opposites attract type of situation. But seeing them really bond and seeing the love grow and seeing the respect grow for each other. And then seeing them, you know, bicker like an old married couple and come to, you know, come to, um, they, they sort of, you know, came to a head, but then, you know, they, they heard each other out, and they understood that things needed to be done for the betterment of their situation. I, I enjoyed seeing that. It was like grown people doing grown people things.
1: Yeah, I I I agree with what both of you said. <laughs> it's just kind of like... After you both like have elucidated all the details, like it, there's very little I can point out that's different. Just I'm gonna agree that it's it's nice to see a couple in all of the 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 peaks and valleys, the highs and the lows of being a couple. Whether it's like intimate moments, like the scene that we mentioned earlier, or whether it's a fight where one of them legitimately has a point, but the other one has a point too. And it's a matter of kind of seeing who's going to win, who's going to be the one that like bends to the other person's will. And it's interesting that someone like as, I don't know, survivalist and like very selfish, I guess, person like Bill loves someone enough to be like, if you want to, Risk our lives and fix up the town considering we don't use any of the other stuff, but you just want to keep it nice. Well, I'm going to do this for you, honey, because I love you, but I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to let you do it. And I will also point out, I completely agree with seeing um Torv, seeing Tess Nice was a really good thing and I, I thought that once she died like we weren't gonna see anything of her again so this was like a nice surprise but I will also say that this pointed out something really sad to me, which was that this year when he's talking to Frank it's what 2003 so she was with uh Joel for no 11... 2013 but 2003 like,
0: was the outbreak
1: but she's been with Joel then for like more than 10 years and he still didn't love her when when she died like that's, that's heartbreaking it just it it makes things even more bleak if you i You don't think he her. loved her? No, cuz even even she mentioned at the at the scene where she's dying like i uh, i didn't i I didn't expect you to return my feelings. And even when. She cuddled up to him. Like he doesn't do the typical thing. Which is like to turn around. Or or to like even acknowledge that she's there. He just kind of like. Keeps his back to her. It, I think he loved price, her. Like,
0: in the best way that he could. Based off of the trauma. That he's experienced. Because he, I mean. Not to jump ahead. But that the final sequence. I feel like. I feel like a lot of that what well I don't want to jump into it. we're not even no we're nowhere near that, but just I'll I'll that I'll do a little bookmark, and uh, I'll give my opinion on how I think Joel felt about Tess later
1: okay, so all right so let's let's pick up the pace here so we can get to that point, get to the deuce, so we're almost there. this scene, three more years later in two thousand and thirteen. So, this is 2013. The the scene with Tess earlier was earlier. So, we see Bill has fortified the fence even more, piling up cars to make a blockade. Bill and Frank jog around the neighborhood, and Frank says he has a surprise. Frank has secretly planted a garden of strawberries, having traded Joel and Tess one of Bill's guns for a packet of seeds. The two toast each other with their strawberries, as Bill giggles with joy over tasting the fresh fruit that he surely never thought he'd ever have again. A reminder of the small things that can truly make life overwhelming at times. Bill apologizes to Frank, saying he's getting older, faster than he is, as Bill continues to say he's never been scared before Frank showed up. The two kiss, touched by each other's admissions. We cut to a rainy night as the raiders show up outside Bill's gates, and Bill tra- Bill's traps catch some of the men of flame. Frank wakes up to flames and gunshots, with Frank nowhere to be found, with Bill nowhere to be found, I should say. Frank grabs a gun and proceeds outside where he finds Bill in the middle of the street shooting raiders with a sniper rifle. After Bill is shot in the side, Frank brings him inside. Thinking this is the end, Bill gives details on how Frank will go on once he's gone as Frank tweets the bullet wound. Bill tells Frank to call Joel, saying that Joel will take care of him, as he can't stay here alone. But Frank says he's not alone since Bill is there. It's the first moment of real danger together, and while Bill is scared, Frank takes the initiative and saves Bill's life. We once again cut to 10 years later when we see both men having gotten grayer, while Frank is now sick and in a wheelchair. Frank has taken up painting, having completed gorgeous pieces, but his sickness makes it difficult for him to complete his latest work, a portrait of Bill. Later on at dinner, we see that Frank is mostly on a liquid diet and has taken quite a few pills for his illness. At night, Bill has to carry Frank to bed and get him situated. And I'm going to pause here because the next scene is a doozy. But this this gives we have enough meat to talk about this scene, so I'm going to give this to Jeffrey. What did you think about it?
0: All right. The Raiders' situation. I was worried – For both of them, because they are both cinnamon rolls. They are both precious cinnamon rolls that cannot be hurt. And I was worried for both of them. I was scared. I was like, oh God, I can't have one of them die. Like, I was worried for for their lives. And then when he got shot, I was like, oh shit. But then when I saw Frank, you know, being incredibly cool, calm, and collected... And uh, getting the 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 bullet out and all that kind of stuff, I was like, okay, this is good. And then we catch up to basically the present. And seeing both of them, well, number one, seeing both of them alive in the present was wonderful. But then seeing Frank, who has clearly developed some sort of debilitating... Uh, um, you know, disease, degenerative disease, whether it's MS or whether it's a cancer situation or something. It was left sort of vague, but basically the, the, the dialogue was, you know, there wasn't a cure for it, you know, pre-outbreak day. So clearly, clearly there isn't a cure for it now. Like seeing all of that and seeing how dedicated they are to each other still was incredibly beautiful to watch but uh, i will say the raider day was spectacular to see just because it was beautifully shot in the night and in the rain and like the fire and the explosions and all that kind of stuff and then we had you know this this beautifully shot moment in the dark inside the house where we had frank save Bill's life, uh, almost, you know, a a poetic uh, mirroring, not in the same way, but uh, but of, uh, in essence, Bill saving Frank's life all those years ago.
1: So we've you've seen the sweetness in the in these tender moments, Vinny, our resident dark horse here, the one who brings the bleakness. Did you feel the same way? Yeah,
2: I mean, even my shriveled dark black little heart couldn't find anything wrong with this i mean this was kind of the pinnacle of their relationship you know everything that we saw came to fruition from what was before these two have been through hell and heaven together they built a life over the periods of a decade or more together you know they they definitely are a couple that saved each other you know without each other they probably would have led very different apocalyptic lives but they found happiness in a I'm about to quote Rihanna. They found happiness in the dark place. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like that. They found love in a hopeless place. Um... <laughs> but no, I, I thought that, the, you know, this could have been really sappy. It could have been really dumb. It could have been really corny. But every transition, every advancement with these two that they did in this episode, you know, we were only given under an hour with them. and But they hit every punch. They tugged on every emotional string and it wasn't hokey, it wasn't cheesy. I really loved, like you guys were saying, the visuals of the raider invasion that night, the sparks flying, the storm. The atmosphere and the ambiance was beautifully built up. And the crescendo of, you know, them living to fight another day while one of them was wounded and had to be taken care of, you know, they it... it it put a risk into it. I was invested in these characters, and I was really worried. Like, oh, God, is one of them going to die, and then the other one's going to be left alone again? You know, you you feel yourself as if you're there, as if you're part of this. So this was a really, really well-executed section as well. I feel like I'm just being, you know, redundant, but it's true.
1: So not to be redundant, because with me repeating the exact same thing both of you have said, it will be three times, and I don't think our listeners want to hear that. So I'm just going to go on and say... Little moments like Bill and Frank jogging and Bill having difficulties, but Frank being like, come on, it's good for you. Like, that is such a long-term couple thing where you don't want to fix the other person, but you just want to make them healthier because you want to live a long life with them. So, like, I don't know. It's a very established, like, we are nesting now phase of of a couple's relationship. And I loved that. Also, as another hygiene moment, y'all just grew those fucking strawberries. There have been bugs and aphids and, like, random birds, like, pecking at those strawberries. Do not eat them before washing them. What is wrong with you? No. For people that are surviving in in an apocalypse, this they, they really don't show such good survival skills. And the last, like, little note thing that I have to point out no two things actually one the guy going aflame that looked freaking cool I, I i don't know if it was like practical effects and they used that whole like chemical that makes it so that the person who's being put aflame like isn't actually being hurt but they're just like waving around or whether it's like cgi but it it looked really like realistic and gruesome so props to that and the last thing is little little details like the painting and how it shows on the left hand side like the broad strokes that are uh Bill's face but then like it kind of trails off into the side and the the brush strokes aren't landing where they should land it totally shows like a degenerative disease I thought it was more like parkinson's but like i can totally see where you were coming from that it could be like ms or some type of cancer so yeah just amazing little details like that this they they do really well with that and now we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of this episode which is the next morning when bill wakes up he sees that frank has gotten himself to his wheelchair saying that it took him almost all night to get there while this irritates bill who thinks frank will fall asleep in the chair Frank states that he'll stay awake since he's decided this is his last day. Later, the two sit together. Bill has clearly been crying, asking about the possibility of finding a doctor, to which Frank says that they didn't have a cure for his disease before the world ended, so what good would that do? With tears in both their eyes, Frank decided that he's had a lot of bad days, and yes, a lot of bad days with Bill too, but he's had more good days with Bill than with anyone else, so he asks for one more good one. Frank says in his final day, he wants Bill to make him some toast, then they're going to go to the neighborhood's boutique, which Frank fixed up, where they'll pick outfits for both of them, and then they'll get married. Then Bill will cook a delicious dinner, crush up all of Frank's pills, and put them in his wine. Frank will then take Bill upstairs, where Frank will fall asleep in Bill's arms. Fighting through tears, Bill says that he can't, but Frank asks if Bill loves him, to which he replies, yes, and Frank says that he should love me the way I want you to. We watch as these two spend their day together, a touching montage of Bill and Frank going through the day Frank wanted to have. We see as they exchange rings and kiss, cementing their bond with each other. But once again cooks them rabbit as they drink the same wine they had during their first meal together all those years ago. At the end of the meal, Bill brings out two more wine glasses prepared to end the life of his love bill pours the wine then takes a bag of ground-up pills and dumps them into frank's glass frank drinks the glass in one gulp followed by bill drinking his own frank then asks if there were already pills in the bottle to which bill replies enough to kill a horse but bill says this isn't a sad suicide at the end of the play bill is old he's satisfied and frank was his purpose frank says he should be furious but he finds this incredibly romantic The pair laugh at their choice, then Frank asks Bill to take him to bed. The two newlyweds head to bed, ready to spend their last moments of life together in each other's arms. And I'm going to pause here at this very melancholy moment and ask Finny, what did you think?
2: Talk about getting me in the feels, Hallmark shit, oh my god. Like, anytime you're dealing with the autumn of a life, it's sad enough as it is, but this was a couple that clearly loved each other very much. And I feel that, especially with the character of Bill, his character development was really at a pinnacle in this moment because he started off the episode completely isolationist, completely unwanting of you know interaction with others. He was happy with his little hermit life in the Cordyceps apocalypse, and now here he is willing to and desiring to end his life because he can't imagine himself living without frank this was so poignant and just so emotionally visceral i i was crying i was watching this in the background while i was working and i'm like so glad that i didn't have to like get on the phone and talk to anybody because i would have been because ah! it was that good you know that the character development was absolutely amazing and we went on this journey with Bill, I mean, let's face it, Frank was there and he was important, but this was Bill's journey with Frank. And to see a character go from not really caring about the rest of the world to leaving the world because the person that he loves can't have a quality of life anymore and is choosing to end their own life. I mean, yes, in in, in some instances it could be viewed as tragic and it is tragic, but at the same time it's, beautiful given the circumstances that they were in. It's not like he was going to have a world to go back to without Frank. It was just the two of them in a desolate wasteland caused by Cordyceps. So I thought this was really well written. It was beautifully acted. And I absolutely thought that this was a great way for these two characters to go in the environment that they were in and the world that they were in.
1: Jeffrey, what did you think of this goodbye Oh gosh, the feels. I remember, I'm
0: just like thinking about the uh, the meme of Troy from Community. My emotions. My emotions! I, like it hit me in the feels. Like from when he first started talking about that this was his last day, like I was already, like the eyes, like the fa- the eye factories... Were starting to produce a lot of this mysterious liquid that all of a sudden started coming out of my eyes, but um, and, but then once the dinner happened, and he was like, "I'm dying too," like just tears, cause oh god, it's like and it's crazy, cause we just met these characters, we just met these characters in this episode. And if you think about it, we had, like, what, maybe 10 minutes of show before, 10 minutes after. So, you know, it was, this episode was bookended by stuff in the quote-unquote present. And so we had, like, what, maybe, like, an hour of uninterrupted time with both of them. And the writers and the actors made it so that we fell in love with these characters. We were rooting for these two crazy kids in this post-apocalyptic world. And so watching them go from the first moments that they fell in love to getting married, to dying together, to choosing to die together, was just, I mean, I don't want to say it was beautiful because, I mean, they both died at the end of it, but it was, it was incredibly emotional as a viewer And um, yeah, just once again, props to the writers, props to the actors, the cinematography, the music, like all of it was so well done and all of it was done in a way to pull at our heartstrings. And it worked. Like I was genuinely surprised. I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised per se. But but I was surprised when Bill said that he drank pills as well, because I was like, wait, 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 like that was a huge jump to the conclusion, but you know your man so well that, uh, you know, you just knew it. And at the end of it all, as Frank said, you know, I can't really be mad, you know, because I'm dying. And, uh, you know, this is, you know, like tragically beautiful in a sense.
1: I hate pointing this out, but this is a very Romeo and Juliet scene where, like, they'd rather die together than, like, live apart from one another.
0: Yes. Well, yeah, well, he he sort of mentioned it, kind of.
1: hmm Like, I usually find Romeo and Juliet the most trite of, like, Shakespearean plays. Oh, okay. Like, it. But, like, I I respect this. I thought it was, again, I agree with both of you. I thought it was beautiful. I, like, started getting, like, I'm getting verklempt. Talk amongst yourselves when fucking, like, when they showed the oh, rabbit. No. And I was like, no, eating him the same meal from the first episode, like from the first episode as if this is a series, from the first moment they met, like I, I, ah that 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 choked me in the inside, and when again, like you mentioned, when he figures it out like that, like that you're taking pills too even though he didn't like do the really obvious thing and crush them up and put them in front of him and Bill just kind of like nods and he's like I've lived a long life, and I'm happy with you, and, like, I'd rather just be with you. Like, that was, wow. Like, that, I was amazed, but I I will say, like, at the end of the episode, when I was just talking with my husband, he's like, you know, I would probably do the same thing Bill did if it was, like, the situations were reversed and it was you and me, because I couldn't think of, like, living without you. And the same thing, like, if If it's like a long relationship like that like it's oh it's just it's beautiful the themes the love the the amount of like change that's come over a man who originally like didn't give a shit about people and wanted to like live on his own and was fine living on his own for the rest of his life to cutting his life short just because he won't be with his partner anymore. that's crazy. And something that Twitter pointed out that made me like, that made my mind go, Phew. when the apocalypse happened, it was 2003, meaning in Massachusetts and in Boston, like in Boston particular, because we're talking about these characters, gay marriage wasn't legal yet. And obviously like with the shit show that happened with the apocalypse, it's not going to get legal because they're not thinking about li- like right people's rights, they're just thinking about the right to survive, so to uh, portray kind of like a quick gay marriage when it's illegal, that's beautiful to me, my God, like, I I, th- I, say that, and, like, already, like, my eyes are tearing up just saying that, like, that's just, Nick Offerman, you, you better get a fucking Emmy for this, because, God, this is great, so uh, with that being said, some time later, we see Joel and Ellie arrive at Bill and Frank's town. The flowers are dying. Bill and Frank's door is unlocked and the remains of their meal are left on the table covered in dust. While Joel goes to investigate and finds Bill and Frank's bedroom barricaded, Ellie, Ellie finds a letter from Bill with a car key on top. The letter is addressed to, to whoever, but probably Joel. Ellie reads the note, which tells whoever finds this note to not come into the bedroom. Bill writes they can take whatever they need and states that he never liked Joel, but it's still like they're almost friends, and Bill respected him. Bill adds that he used to hate the world, and he was happy when everyone died, but he was wrong. There was one person worth saving, and that's what he did. He saved him. He protected him. That's why people like himself and Joel are here. They have a job to do, and God help any motherfuckers who get in their way. Bill also writes that Joel can have all his weapons to keep, and then Ellie quits reading. Joel looks at the letter, which continues to say that Joel should use the weapons to keep Tess safe. Joel leaves the house, seemingly saddened by not being able to protect Tess, as he crumples up the note and heads to the garage, where he finds Bill's truck. When there's no battery in the truck, Joel finds the ingredients to make one in the refrigerator. Returning to the house, Joel asks to see Ellie's arm, which still hasn't changed. Joel accepts this and says he's charging the battery and that he's looking for his brother Tommy, who is in trouble in Wyoming, and he's heading out to find him. Tommy used to be a firefly, and maybe he can find out where to take Ellie. Joel says if he's taking Ellie with him, there are rules she has to follow, and she can't bring up Tess. and in fact, they should keep their histories to themselves. Ellie can't tell anyone about her condition, and Ellie has to do what Joel says when he says it. Ellie agrees to what Joel said to that. What Joel says goes. The two grab what they can, even though there's an entire wall of guns. Joel denies Ellie's request for one. As Ellie looks around the house by herself, she finds another gun, which she hides in her bag. With the two showered and loaded up, they get in Bill's truck. The first time Ellie has ever been in a car before. Ellie finds a Lena Ronstadt cassette in the glove compartment which they play as they leave Bill and Frank's town. As they head for Wyoming, we see the truck depart from an open window to Bill and Frank's bedroom, where the two will remain together in each other's arms forever. Jeffrey, what did you think of this conclusion?
0: This is where we pick up the bookmark that I made earlier. This is just my interpretation of it. I don't know if either of you agree with it. Clearly Priscilla, I would assume, doesn't, because... You were saying other stuff. So, I don't know. This is just how I took it. I took Joel's reaction to uh, Tess being included in that note. Like, the fact that he had to physically remove himself from the room. Because also, I, didn't, I don't think he wanted Ellie to see him get emotional. Um, that might have been the first time he ever really felt emotion in a long time. Um, so, for me, I interpreted that as... He did love her. Maybe he never said it. Uh, Maybe he never even acted like he did in front of her. But I think a lot of that is sort of like a bit of a protective barrier that he has set up for himself because of what happened to his daughter 20 years ago. Like, I think he is purposefully not allowing himself to open himself up to the possibility of caring about someone else, at least in an overt kind of way, because he is still dealing with the trauma of losing his daughter. So I I do think Joel loved her and I do think he had a deep love for her, but he never allowed himself to express it. And I think part of his emotion in that scene is because he regrets never, um, expressing it, you know, he doesn't have the chance to do it anymore, and clearly Bill saw in him himself in a kind of way, you know, because Bill had, uh, you know, shielded himself up, he had created all these layers on the outside so that no one could come in, and then came Frank, um, that sounded... <laughs> anyway... Moving on, um, and so you know Frank arrived and broke down all those barriers and unfortunately for for Joel, you know he still has the barriers up, and I think part of the journey that we 're going to see, just because you know it, this is one of those things where it 's like the cantankerous older person, and it's the plucky young one. And the plucky young one that's on the journey with the cantankerous old person is going to break down the barriers and is going to turn the cantankerous person into a caring individual. Clearly that's going to happen. At least that's what I think is going to happen. So it's going to be Ellie that will restore some of Joel's I don't know if I want to call it humanity, because I don't feel like he's humanity-less. But, um, but it, it's, it's going to restore some of the, the human nature in him, the, the openness to care again. Now, one thing that I didn't mention that happened earlier, just because we didn't really fully, fully, fully dive deep into the gas station situation, is... Alright, so Ellie has this obsession. She wants a gun. She really wants to be able to defend herself, and I fully understand it, even though she is a child who I'm assuming has no formal gun training and that sort of thing. So it's probably bad to have someone that doesn't know how to use a weapon have a weapon, because Joel could get shot. And then if Joel gets shot and dies, like, what the hell is Ellie gonna do? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, you know, it's not like she knows where she's going. So I understand Joel's POV and I understand Ellie's POV. When she went down into the hole, I was like, no, Um, no, no. But you're a child and you're curious, but no, like that is stupid. Like you don't do that stupid shit in the zombie apocalypse because that's how you die. But then again, she's already bitten, so what's really going to happen to her? Well, I guess she could be torn to shreds. But anyway, so she went down there and then she found the infected that has been crushed by some rubble, and then she does what the t- what a normal kid is gonna do, and that is she kind of experiments you know sort of take it like it's you know high school biology class, and you're gonna um, dissect a frog in essence, this cordyceps person is her frog, she does a little cut, she sees what's inside, she like moves the knife around to like and and she sees that. The cordyceps person is um, following the knife. But then she ends up stabbing him. And she stabs him in a way that I was like, do I need to be scared about you? (laughs) Like, is this the good son? You know, is this, you know, one of those situations (laughs) where, you know, you have a child that's like grabbing a magnifying glass and like burning up the ants? Like, if it was another type of show... and and she wasn't the main character, I'd be a little worried, just because it's kind of um, suspect behavior, but then I also have to think, it is the post-apocalypse, it it is post-apocalyptic time, is what I'm trying to say, and, uh, you know, she has lived relatively a sheltered life in the quarantine zone, In one of those FEDRA schools, I think probably the first time she's ever seen one of the infected is when she got bit by one. So this is maybe her second time seeing one. And she was curious. And it's not like anybody's ever given her the answers to it. But for like half a second in the back of my mind, I was like, you really want weapons, don't you? Should I be worried about you? I'm just saying.
2: Vinny, what did you think? I mean, ultimately... This was a great cap to the episode. Um, there's not really too much more to revisit. And Jeff kind of summed it up pretty well. And just in general, it's the same as kind of what I said about the beginning. We're, we're really seeing the relationship between Ellie and Joel start to have a concrete foundation where they're not, they're not there yet and they got a way to go. But I don't know that there's trust necessarily. There's a little bit, but more so there's this respect that's grudging on both of their parts, you know, and... Joel is coming to understand that he's committed to this. He has to see it through. Ellie is trying to make the best of a shitty situation. She's just cargo right now. You know, she's been made to feel like nothing but a piece of trash. That's we're not trash, but something valuable that's being transitioned from person to person to get to some point to do something when she just wants to live her life and she hasn't been able to live it. And so she's making the best of what time she has out in the world. And, You know, you can tell that she's trying to reach out to Joel, even though he keeps rejecting her advances to get closer. And with Joel, I do believe there was feelings for Tess that were present. I think he's just very much someone who was sectioned off and cordoned off. And he is just so used to being on his own at this point and, you know, not letting himself show feelings because he's lost everything that mattered to him. And I think with the death of his daughter, he just decided, I'm not going to let myself pursue any feelings that I might have, let alone show them. But just because you choose to do that doesn't mean the feelings go away. And I do believe that there was caring, if not love, down there for Tess. And I think that we started to see that happen with him. And I really think that as the series progresses, we will start to see some more traces of humanity come out. Ellie's going to wear him down and bring them out, I believe.
1: Yeah, she's a little kid. Like they, they tend to do that with people, but, um, I'm just going to reiterate a couple of like little details that I noticed. Um, the fact that Frank really wanted to fix up the town makes sense now because right away as a viewer, you notice the flowers are dying and Bill and Frank watered those flowers religiously. If, if, Bill had had what he wanted. It wouldn't have mattered that the flowers were dying... Because it would have looked like shit... When Joel went in to look... Because that's how Bill wanted it. He wanted it to look like it was abandoned. But no... Joel knew that this couple took care of appearances... Because it's how you show love. And the fact that the flowers are dying... Shows that something's off. And... uh, I'm going to say... I loved Ellie's reading of the note... But one of my favorite moments is when she um, mimicked how Bill would have laughed by going, hey, 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 hey. like it's just was very goblin mode energy. I fucking loved it. It's a very little kid thing to do. Um, I, I'll also say that um, I was looking online and someone like made like a TikTok of a mashup of. The scene where Joel is talking to Ellie and telling her the rules, telling her that everything about her condition, what he says goes, and the dialogue from the game versus the dialogue from the episode, and they almost match, like, word for word. Everything, like, was really well done, so props to the show for following stuff from the game, but branching off sometimes, too. And I completely agree with you, Jeffrey. Her finding the gun and hiding it, but not knowing how to shoot with it. Like, she'd be better off throwing a sandwich at these things, That, that at the cordyceps creatures. Like, she's going to die, or she's going to end up killing someone that's innocent. I don't know, but it's just—it's a bad idea. And two more things to point out. When they showered, and he tosses her, like, a deodorant thing, and she's like, nice. I'm like God. You almost have stank to high heaven. So, I- I'm glad that <laughs> it's true, like, though. For for Ellie to have never like un- felt hot water, probably because she-, she was in a federal orphanage. I don't think they give a shit about giving orphans warm water or something like that, or wasting energy that way. Like, that's that's nice. I I liked that. And the last thing I'll point out, my take on the joel test relationship i thought he was very guilty when the letter says that they they need those weapons to keep Tess safe because simply because he doesn't love her he doesn't have the capacity to love someone like romantically like his love died when his little girl died so he doesn't really like he can connect with her. He can have sex with her. They can even be like close to like romantic companions and like mates, I should say. But he doesn't fully love and trust her. So when she dies and she's, when she's dying and she's like, I never asked you to love me back. And like little things like him twisting away or him like. I don't know, just having a very closed off demeanor, having, like, his shoulders up and his arms crossed, typical, like, nonverbal ways of saying, like, I am not open to conversation right about now. Like, little things like that just kind of give me the feeling that he doesn't love her to that aspect. And his guilt at the end isn't guilt about losing someone that he loves. It's guilt coming from the person who... In essence, this is terrible to say, but he used the person he but he didn't love them back enough when they loved them back it's It's a guilt, so ah god, like i I feel for Joel, but the person I really feel for is Tess because she deserved better, like especially after this episode where you see what love in post apocalypse could look like. Tess didn't have that, Tess had whatever was remaining of joel's heart, so i'm I'm hoping that Ellie finds a way to open Joel's heart too, not romantically but like um like just the grinch wise with his heart growing three sizes one day or something like that, and I really appreciated the proper rendition of Linda Ronstadt with the cassette so for all of you who didn't know about her before now's your chance go to your wherever you stream your music and check it out with that being said now it's time for the MVP the most valuable player state which character impressed you throughout the episode and why once the character has been chosen they cannot be selected again so choose wisely I feel like I'm going to be shortchanged here because there's really two characters that we're both going to be vying for. And there's three of us. But I will go last. And I'm going to let uh, Vinny go first.
2: Sweet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are two characters in the primaries of this episode. So it would be remiss if you didn't choose one of them. Um, but I'm actually not going to go for Bill. I'm going to choose Frank. He was my first. Uh, simply because... Frank was the catalyst for change. He was the entire stone rolling down the snowball, rolling down the hill that built up the story around Bill. He was such a key character that caused such change for Bill. And he was the vehicle of the story for me. You know, um, this could have very easily been a story just about Bill being a survivalist and Joel and Ellie going to meet him and him being bitter and gripey for no reason. You know, not giving us the backstory, but they chose to give us a backstory. And we got to see his world completely rocked and changed by Frank. And all the way to the very end, they were a couple that is, in my opinion, one of the best dictations or iterations of a gay couple that I've seen on TV ever. And I just really enjoyed Frank. I mean, I enjoyed both of them. But for me, Frank was the standout more than Bill, because he was the one that caused so much change within Bill. And it just flabbergasted be how amazing everything that happened in this episode was and when I walked away he was the first person that I really thought about when I started thinking about MAPs
1: so we all know that I'm gonna go last so Jeffrey appreciate this pick the character that impressed you the most
0: thank you I appreciate that uh Frank was your first Vinny Uh, he was uh, Bill's first too (laughs) <laughs> <Yes>. ah, <no! laughs> and last you say that
2: he was the first of us
0: yes uh um, actually i am actually going to be as wonderful and kind as you are priscilla i'm actually going to be wonderful and kind to you because listen i'll be honest as i was thinking about this i was like shit you know there really are only two characters because i mean let's be real even though joel and uh, ellie were in this episode I mean, they were fantastic for who they were, but it wasn't anything, just being honest, that was MVP quality. So it really is down to Bill and Frank. And there are three of us. That We are the three of us. And, it, it, I mean, it, it's just its going to be so difficult for the last person, which is typically the moderator. So I will be kind as well. And I'm going to give it to the writer, Craig Mason he did a phenomenal job with this episode giving us a bottle episode in between two bookends that take place in the present day of the present day timeline of the series and giving us these two characters over the course of an hour watching we we watch them as viewers you know we watch them fall in love we watch them spend uh you know uh 20 years together and and we saw them you know die together basically and it was this beautiful tender love story it's crazy how this is just the third episode of the series so it's kind of a little bit of a risk to do a sort of standalone episode just three episodes in and it's also kind of interesting that priscilla sort of started off um, this podcast by basically saying that this was like the best episode of the series we're only three episodes in so it's it's, it's like it's almost like an embarrassment of riches that we can even use such you know intense language with a series, just three episodes in, like you know this is the best episode thus far when in in reality, I mean the previous two episodes were still pretty damn good, and all of that for me comes down to the writer of the episode, like the pacing was good, the story was good. And uh I mean the acting was good as well, but uh, you know, if the actors had nothing to say, if if the you know, the cinematographers had nothing written down, we would not have gotten this really spectacular episode. So I will give it to uh Mr. Craig Mason for writing this phenomenal hour and uh what fifteen uh, ish minutes of uh, of, of T V.
1: I'm going to say thank you very much because I got to pick the character that impressed me since the jump, since the beginning of the episode, since uh, since seeing him in a gas mask. Like, he just, I don't know, like, he brought up so much joy in this episode, even though he was a curmudgeon. He was, the grumpy to the sunshine, and when the sun set on his partner, like, he decided... I'm deuces, I'm not gonna last without him like and life is more about surviving it's about thriving with the one you love like it's it's amazing i i just um'm he has to win an Emmy for this he just has to be make him be a guest star in the episode, the series since obviously he only comes out one episode because he's dead like i just i'm great like I haven't seen someone who is so like straight I should say like gives such straight energy like the way Robin Williams was in the bur- before the birdcage and like pull such a tour de force and convincingly play someone who's like in love with someone of the same gender like it's beautiful like oh, I, I i props to him like great art great artistry there within that and I wanted to say, um, I didn't mention this at the beginning of the episode, I should have, but uh, I'm going to give an MVP also to uh, Annie Worshing who played Tess in The Last of Us video game, because she passed away uh, a couple of days after uh, the episode aired. And no, she without passed her away the day the episode aired. Yeah, uh wow. I heard about it like the the day after, so I guess it must have happened then. So I'm just like rest in peace. Without you we wouldn't have had tests. We wouldn't have had Anator be able to pull off like such a tour de force too. So beautiful work from everyone involved. So, with that being said, now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 infected? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than 10, you may grant the coveted golden infected. And, Jeffrey, I'm allowing you to go first. What did you give it?
0: It's easy. Golden. Golden. For all the reasons that has been discussed thus far from everybody, it was a fantastic episode of television. Just an episode of television, not just an episode of The Last of Us TV series. I would say it's just a beautiful episode of TV, period. It's just wonderful from beginning to end. Golden.
1: So we got one Golden. Vinny, what did you give it? Oh, it's a
2: Golden for me as well. You know, I've been reserved with my Golden. This is my first one for this season, but this episode... Hands down, across the board, it was a golden for me. Everything was wonderfully executed. The story was enrapturing, and I was engaged from start to finish. You know, it's one of those instances where I didn't even realize how much time had passed before it was over because I was so engaged with it. So, hands down, golden across the board.
1: I'm going to say, having discussed this at the episode like right afterwards with different people, I'm so shocked at, granted, and this is a very small minority because – I've seen that most people are effusive in their praise of this episode. But there are a couple people that are like, why are we veering from the journey? Why are we messing with, like, a character that, like, doesn't even matter and a relationship that wasn't even in the game? This sucks. Give us back Joel and Ellie. I'm like, you do not know how to watch TV. Go back to playing video games and immersing yourself in action because you obviously can understand human emotion. This was a golden, this improved on the game this made something that was, just showed the ugliness of the world, if you ever get a chance to and like and you don't play the video game, at the very least watch a let's play and see the letter that Frank left to Bill and how cold and just bleak it makes their relationship be and to turn it into, from something like that, that granted just shows how cruel the world can be and turn it into something that's like a Lotus blossom, just showing how beautiful the world is in its simplicity. And it's just in its relationship to the world. That's perfect. That's that's that, that, that breezes past the boundaries that we set for ourselves in television and makes it art, makes it something that moves you emotionally. I totally cried during this episode and I wasn't the only one. There's a lot of people that felt the same way I did. So definitely a golden beyond a shadow of a doubt. So with three goldens and with this episode done, join us next time for a brand new installment of the Cordyceps Chronicles. Here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us.
0: Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Sets Chronicles, and subscribe.
1: Thanks, announcer. My co-hosts, please wish listeners a good night, starting off with you, Jeffrey. Have
0: a good night, listeners. Stay safe. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pass you a box of Kleenex in a moment, because <laughs> I feel like we, we've all had to relive this, you know, this beautiful but very emotional episode together.
1: And Vinny.
2: Good night, everyone, and remember, Arby's doesn't give free food.
1: <laughs> As a side note, go watch Arby's. They, they tweeted about The Last of Us. Like, Oh, nice. This episode aired, so yeah. With that being said, thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Cordyceps Chronicles via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Tuesday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night.